This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, it is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin on Zoomer Radio, aided and abetted by yours truly, Dean Holland. Good morning, Charlie. How are you? I'm excellent, Dean. How are you? I am also well. I am well. Now, what's going on in your garden this week? It's a little dreary this morning. Uh, so, you know what's going to be one of my most important things I'm going to remind everybody is to make sure that as winter approaches, our evergreens are well watered before freeze up. And this is important because we want our evergreens to come through the winter in good condition. So watering, if you can, is essential if you, like me, have been struggling with lack of rain for the last six or seven weeks. For me, though, um, my my well is going down and it's not replenishing because the water table has dropped so much. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, the watering of my evergreens is something I'm challenged by right now. And it's going to be interesting to see how it all turns out. It's drizzling out there right now, but it's drizzled on and off for the last six weeks. So, yes, I've got moisture in the top inch of my soil, but that's about it. Okay, well, I have a question about that, but I'm going to give out the numbers now, mm-hmm. and then I know you have a, a couple of announcements. Uh, the number to call if you live in Toronto, 416-360-0740, or if you live outside Toronto, anywhere in the province of Ontario, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. Do let Ashy know if you're a first-time caller, and I will give you the Garden Wings. Uh, call often, call early, and please, 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 one question per call. Okay, what's your announcement uh. there, Charlie? Well, quickly, coming up uh, Wednesday, November 8th, that's this Wednesday, the Riverdale Horticultural Society will be meeting. They have uh, both an on-site meeting at the Frankland Community Centre at 816 Logan Avenue in Toronto. That's just south of the Danforth. Or you can zoom in and join them. Their speaker is a woman named Molly from the Canadian Succulent Society. She's going to be talking all about succulents. So that's at 7 p.m. For more information, info at riverdalehorticultural.ca. And then Monday, November 13th, the Agent Court Garden Club will be meeting at the Knox United uh, Christian Education Center, 2575 Midland Avenue at Shepherd. Um, they are really a, a fun group. Everyone is welcome to attend. Um, that is, I don't have a time here, but I believe it's about 7 or 7.30 at the latest. Michael Erdman is speaking on naturalizing spring bulbs. Okie dokie. Okay, we will be right back with much more on The Garden Show. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, we are back with The Garden Show. And Charlie, before we get to our first caller, quick question about the evergreens in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that matter uh, how old the evergreen is? Or is it, you know, does it, did, you know, is that a, a factor? We have some very, very big, as you know, very like, you know, 40 and 50 and 60 foot tall blue spruces in front of the house. Right. 
Okay, so good question. Uh, no, there's a no question that a recently planted plant does need TLC. So these are plants that we are going to very specifically ensure are ready for winter. They've been properly watered, properly staked if necessary. You know what I mean? Like all even wrapped if they're in a super windy, sunny location for the first couple of years. Big old spruces. You know what? If you've had consistent water, which I think you have, then you're probably good to, to go out there and start watering. Uh, something that's mm-hmm. as as um, old as that not important but then again you know your precipitation better than i yes. do just know in your heart of hearts and this is counterintuitive even a 60 year old plant the vast majority of its roots are in the top 18 inches of the soil oh my goodness okay yeah, because that's where the oxygen is and roots need oxygen so you know you think a big old plant like that probably has roots that go down six feet but no it the vast majority top 18 inches Okay, okay, okay. So let's go to our first caller. We are going to the city of Chatham. We have Barbara on the line. Welcome to the Garden Show, Barbara. Good morning, Charlie and Dean. Um, morning. We inherited some raspberry canes in the heat of the summer, and miraculously, we kept them alive. And to our not necessarily surprise, because apparently it's a variety that blooms twice in a year, we got mm-hmm. raspberries in September. And my question is, what do we cut away in the fall and what do we do with extremely long new growth canes that happened over the summer? Hmm. Okay, so good question. Questions. Uh, so what you have Hello? are what are called ever-bearing raspberries when they bloom twice. Hello? So the way to deal with those is you look at the canes and you can tell which canes fruited, the ones that provided fruit for you this year. And those are all Hello? removed at ground level in the fall or early spring. Meanwhile, very long... Pardon? Sorry, uh, were you asking me a question? No. Uh, so it, the very long new growth you, you refer to could be because of the kind of uh, summer we had. So just remember moving forward, obviously raspberries need lots of sun. They need a well-drained, uh, deep, sandy loam. Do uh, provide organic material like or you know composted manure in the spring, but do not over-fertilize otherwise. You want the plants about 60 centimeters apart. So you, if it's an overgrown patch that you've inherited that somebody planted you know years ago you may need to go in there and do some thinning some removing uh, get it down so that the rows are two two and a half even three feet apart six feet apart even uh, and then like I said uh, the plants about um, 60 centimeters apart there's a great publication that OMAFRA put out, the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs. So if you Google OMAFRA, the acronym, and then publications and number 237 slash 12, there's everything you need to know about growing raspberries in Ontario. Wonderful. Okay, we did lose Barbara, but I'm sure she got the answer that she was looking for. Yeah, so let's go right now to our next caller. We have Anne in Hagersville. And Anne, apparently you are not a first-time caller, but apparently when you were a first-time caller, you didn't get your garden <laughs> wings. Is that right? Good morning. So I'm gonna, morning. morning. So I'm going to give you your garden wings that apparently you did not get on your first call. Is that correct? <laughs> okay, Anne. So Anne might be having trouble hearing us. So I'm what is your sure, question yeah. there, Anne? Okay. You know what? Let's uh, we're going to throw to a break. We'll figure out what's going on. We'll be right back with much more on the garden show.
Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got the Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Oh yeah, we are back here on the Garden Show. Going to give those numbers out again: four one six three six zero. 0740 is the Toronto number, or one 740 Now, we're going to go back to Anne. We got her back. She's uh, from Hagersville. And uh, welcome back to the Garden Show, Anne. How are you? Morning. Okay. Funny, eh? Can no, it sounds like we... Okay. You know what we're going to do? We're going to go to an email. We're going to figure this out. But I've got an email here ready to go. Uh, Charlie, we yes. got an email from Gail. Um, who was asking about uh, dahlia tubers. She says uh, her tubers are rather large, and uh, she wants to know if she should be cutting them back or separating them for easier storage, uh, and and how that storage would be. Does she need to coat them with anything? Those types of things. So that is the question there. Very timely question, actually, because this – did you get a first frost? You must have, Dean. Uh, yes, we did get a bit of a first frost, indeed, yes. A frost that caused – any of the tender stuff to just turn black and drop to the ground, basically. I would, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you had any annuals, even your hostas, I'm sure they're yellow and crispy now. Indeed, or yes. mushy. So dahlias uh, are an example. I have tuberous begonias, same, same idea. These are what we call tender bulbs. So they cannot stay out all winter or they will die. So we have to bring them in in the fall. But we wait for that first frost. So that's what's happened. Once the first frost happens, um, I didn't now Gail didn't tell me whether her dahlias were in the ground or in pots. If they're in pots, the easiest thing to do by far is just leave them in the pots, bring the pots into the garage or a shed or somewhere where it's dry and it's dark and it's cool. You do not want them to freeze. Those pots need to be kept frost free, but you don't water them. You just they've been forced into dormancy by the frost. Now we clean up the foliage, let them stay asleep until we're ready to wake them up next spring. If her dahlias were in the ground, then she'll use a digging fork. She'll dig them all up out of the ground, cut off all that um, dead foliage because the frost has turned it black. And uh, what I do is I lay out whatever I've dug up, in the case of mine, it's begonias, in her case, dahlias, on newspapers. Again, frost-free, dark, cool location for a couple of days because you've got to just dry off the soil that's attached to the tubers mm -hmm. and with your fingers you clean that all up no washing just just a nice little brushing with the fingers cleaning them up as much as you can and then um, her her dahlias need to be put into a slightly moist sterile media many people will use peat moss vermiculite works as well better yet vermiculite and perlite mixed together in an in a box somewhere cardboard box um just a little bit of moisture not wet not soggy but not bone dry dahlias need that little bit of moisture and then again 40 to 50 degrees fahrenheit so what is that you know eight ten degrees centigrade mm -hmm. to uh for the winter dark cool asleep uh, until we're ready to wake them up. Um, do check them. If you've got them sealed up in a box, check them every month or so. Make sure they're not too wet, not too dry. You don't want them to shrivel. You don't want them to rot. Okay, and uh, you brought up another question, but not an airtight container, right? We don't no. want it airtight. No. Cardboard box. Cardboard box. Okay, yeah. still has to breathe a bit. Okay. Yep, exactly. Got it. 
Okay, we're going to go to uh, uh, Toronto now. We have Adele on the line. Welcome to the Garden Show, Hi, Adele. And morning, you're a first-time Charlie. caller, is that correct? Uh, first-time listener, long time. Uh, okay. First-time listener, long time listener. <laughs> first-time caller. There we go. There um, are your garden wings. I, I have a, I have a question about my purple leaf sand cherry in my front yard. Mm-hmm. And it's eight years old. Um, I've done some, you know, trimming and pruning myself through the years. Um, but now it's starting to get very thinned out. And that canopy that, you know, uh, I see in the tag that I get with the tree um, is um, n- not there anymore. So I called an arborist. Actually, I had two come in to give me a quote on it. But they've given me different opinions on how to prune it. One says to do it with the leaves on and one says to do it with the leaves off. Which way should I go, Charlie? Hmm. In a sense, it doesn't really matter. But a purple leaf sanctuary is usually a shrub. Oh, so has yours and actually been trained up as a tree, a small tree? Adele, can you hear me? Oh, it's so weird. Hmm. Dean, you can hear me, right? I can hear Hello? you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think Adele can hear me. No. Uh, okay. okay, so, all right. So, uh, purple leaf sand cherry is a lovely, well used ornamental purple leaved plant that gets really pretty pale pink or white flowers in the spring. If you prune it when there's no leaves on it, you will be pruning away potential flowers. Is that a problem? Um, because a purple leaf sand cherry is a prunus or a fruit tree, it's a doesn't get it's sterile in terms of its fruit, but it is a fruit tree. And traditionally we prune all our fruit trees when they're dormant in the late winter, early spring. So that's what I would probably do. If I was doing some, you know, real pruning for shape, you can see what's going on when there's no leaves and it's the appropriate time to prune. It's also shortly after that, the appropriate time to use a dormant spray because um, purple leaf sand cherries are very susceptible to some of the fungal diseases out there and insects. So they're keeping them healthy uh, with the dormant spray in the spring is usually a great idea. Uh, that's okay, great, Charlie. Okay. Um, oh. you, uh, you just kind of faded out on me, but um, if you wouldn't mind just repeating, I, I do the, the antifungal, um, but on the pruning, leaves on or leaves off? Uh, leaves off. Late winter, do the pruning. Wow. So, what's going on there? Why am okay, I fading there. out? Yeah. Oh, there we are. Okay. So, um, I have another email uh, that uh, you got here, which was um, <laughs> which was quite funny, actually. It's about corn stalks. Um, so, somebody, uh, it's a Jean. Jean called, or Jean emailed you and said she's looking for some help to remove two corn stalks <laughs> to grow in her front yard in early summer. Apparently, it, it has proved to be a big attraction in the neighborhood. But now his uh, outstate out is welcome, more or less. And so any ideas of, uh, of getting rid of them? And it's so funny because the picture that she sent here, <laughs> yes. uh, you can see these corn stalks that are in the city. You can see them. They're like four feet away from cars. Not even. They're, they're, like they're about a no, foot from yeah. the sidewalk, and it's a narrow yeah. sidewalk. So you're right. It looks quite urban. Yes, it does. I know. It's just, it's kind of a cute picture. So she, and you know what? She's got some corn fruit growing right at the bottom of the plants. You can see a couple of corn, actual corn. So yeah, she doesn't tell us where she's calling or sending this email from, but I'm sure the frost has knocked this plant down and hopefully she got some corn. And if not, the squirrels got some corn, I'm sure. So uh, yeah, fun, fun and silly. And who knows where those seeds came from? Yeah, but is so is corn 
uh, is that difficult to get rid of? You just pull it up. It's got no, a fairly yeah, shallow just pull root, it up. right? Yeah. It's an annual plant. It will die <clears throat> either way. It's going to die in the in the winter, uh, you know, die in the frost or yeah, yeah, and they're shallow rooted, exactly. Not not like a uh, what I call not like our yucca. I have to say, we, <laughs> my goodness, we inherited a couple of yuccas when we bought this house, you know, over a decade ago, and it once when we wanted to get rid of the one, it unbelievably kept coming back with a vengeance. I mean, I felt like I had to dig down about four feet to try and get the roots. Very very persistent. The uh, the the yuccas. But not yeah. so much corn stalks, yeah? No, not so much. No, exactly. Yeah, yucca, deep, deep taproot. Well, it's like daylily, hard to get rid of. <laughs> okay, dokie. Okay, well, let's try our, uh, let's try our next caller. Uh, let's go to Catherine. She's calling from Markham. Welcome to the Hi. Garden Show, Catherine. Hello. Hello. Morning. Hey there, Catherine. What do you Hello? got there for Charlie? Hello. Hello, can go we, ahead, Catherine. Can you hear me? Yes, we can, Catherine. Go ahead. But she's not hearing you. Hello, hello, no, hello. she's not hearing us. Oh, hold on. Well, it's funny. I've got um, Paul DeGroot, who is one of our listeners. Yep. Uh, she, he says, hello. yeah, he can hear the callers, but we can't hear the callers. Okay. Uh, you know what we'll do? We'll... Um... <laughs> Let me see here. Let's go to a, let's go. We're going to throw to a break a little bit early, but let's throw to a quick break. We'll be right back with much more on The Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yeah, welcome back to the Garden Show. And uh, yeah, we do apologize. Apparently, we're having a little bit of trouble with the phone lines, but we're going to keep our fingers crossed and hopefully we can get back on track here. Uh, we are going to try uh, Catherine again. We're we're going to Markham. We've got Catherine on the line. Welcome to the Garden Show, Catherine. Hello. <laughs> okay. I know you're having trouble with the phone lines, so I'm just going to shoot the whole question out and hopefully you get it. It's regarding overwintering geraniums. In the past, I brought them in, dried them, limited success. This year, brought them in in pots, going to try to keep them going. I only have one east window, so that's all I can give them. What I want to know is, what do I do about watering, feeding, and clipping them until the spring? Thank you. Excellent, excellent question. And well asked, I might add. <laughs> Overwintering geraniums is something that we all love the idea of doing because they're expensive. And if we love our geraniums, then why not keep them? When you bring them in, which you've done already, I assume, because you've probably had a, a frost at your place, you've got however many pots, you've only got an east window. Best case scenario, I would get some supplemental lighting for them because more lighting will be make them easier to keep them going. Um, however, it's not impossible to keep them alive in an east window. The main thing is keep them right in the window. Give them as much light as you can. Forget about dormancy or semi-dormancy. Keep them as house plants. They won't be very pretty in an east window. They'll be kind of lanky and and you know like not really full and and green, but the main thing is they'll be alive. You will have to turn the, the pots in the window every, like every Sunday or whatever, like put it on the calendar, keep them as balanced as you can, 
only water when they're quite dry. Uh, if they're big pots, get yourself a moisture meter and then you can use that meter to test the, the moisture deep into the pots. If they're smaller, you know, sort of six inch pots, feel the weight of the pots. The one thing you can do now is kill them with too much water. Low light, like an east window, is a, is a situation where you don't have a lot of moisture being used. Plus it's winter, so the plants are slowing right, right down. But just keep them going uh, through the winter. And what'll happen is the days get longer in February, the plant will start, the plants will start to send up some new growth. Once you start seeing that new growth and you've got a good three, four inches of new growth, you'll start taking cuttings. And that new growth, those cuttings you take, and you each plant might give you six or 10 cuttings, will become the plants that go out into your garden next spring. The main, Meanwhile, the mother geraniums, which are the ones you've got on your window ledge right now, could go outside as well. But the main thing is to keep them in as bright a spot and limit your water. No fertilizer. Don't try and force them to grow until we get into the, into the spring light. All right. Thanks so much, Catherine. That was so helpful. Thank you very much. I'm going to do that. Excellent. Fabulous. Thanks for calling. Okay. Yeah. Okay, uh, we're going to give all those numbers again. We've got, uh, if you live in Toronto, 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. Okay, and uh, we have, do I think we have Anne on the line. Yeah, we've got Anne on the line. Uh, welcome to the Garden Show, Anne. Anne, are you there, my dear? I don't think so. Okay, let's talk about uh, let's talk about our fall gardens there, Charlie. We uh, we talked about it's we've talked a little bit about bulbs, right? We've mm -hmm. got uh, bulbs going in. I've got to put some garlic in today. Get uh, it sure. in. I know you yeah. said you have family visiting and maybe it's raining a bit at your place too. But get I mean, what limits us being able to plant bulbs is the ground freezing. Now, we're far from that happening. But mm -hmm. do get your garlic in because you do want to get it, you know, established. Get it down, you know, several inches down into the ground. Pointy end up is what we we had reminded each other. But yeah. If it doesn't, if you know what, bulbs are pretty smart. So if you don't get pointy end up, they will probably grow. Make sure it's well-drained soil, okay. sunny location, and stay on top of them next summer. Remember the, the little pigtails, and uh, you'll stay on top of removing those. I've got a whole big bag of tulips, beautiful, beautiful orange tulips I've got to get in the ground uh, called Orange Emperor. And yes. something called Grape Hyacinth, also known as Muscari. I love Grape Hyacinths. They're just so electric blue in the spring. So I've got a, a big bag of those too, which I'm going to intermingle with my yellow daffodils, which is going to be absolutely gobsmackingly beautiful next spring. Yeah, and, and, you know, when we bought the house, or like I said, over a decade ago, we inherited a whole thousands and thousands of grape hyacinths. They come up mm -hmm. every year bordering the driveway, and uh, they just seem to go on like we've never planted any. They just go on for years and years and years. Well, ex exactly. So that's an example of a bulb naturalizing, where you plant one and 10 years later, you've got 100. Uh, crocuses will do the same. Many mm -hmm. of the smaller species, tulips, um, yeah, many of the smaller, what we call the you sort of um, assorted small tul uh, bulbs will naturalize. Even the, the, minute, the small daffodils, well, any daffodil will naturalize, which I love. I love that. Plant once and, and they just keep on giving. 
Okay, let's go to our next caller. We have a Lewis on the line from Toronto. Okay, Lewis, welcome Hi to there. the Garden Show. I don't know if you can hear me, but I hope so. Anyway, oh, yeah. uh, the question yeah. is, how can I winterize strawberries that aren't hanging baskets? <laughs> wow, good question. So hanging baskets. So this is obviously the first year that Lewis planted them. Or they're the Yeah, nice idea, actually, to hang them where you can lie in a hammock and then just pick strawberries as they're trailing down out of the hanging baskets. You will need to get those pots. You don't need to necessarily take the plants out of the pots, but you need to get those plants underground. So I would leave them in the pots. You could leave the hangers on if they're just the plastic hangers, unless they look really stupid. And if you've got a spot in your garden where you had tomatoes or whatever vegetables growing that's empty now, dig a hole deep enough that you can sink the pots in just so that the lip of the pot is just at ground level. you know, put the soil around, make sure the strawberries have been watered. If you've got leaves kicking around or straw kicking around, excess soil, as the strawberries become dormant, not a bad idea if you can uh, sort of kick up some extra material over top of the plants, keeping in mind that you must pull that away next spring. Otherwise, the plants will rot. The thing is, they're not in pots, though. They're in uh, hanging baskets. It's all wire and uh, whatever material on the bottom. Okay. Right, right, right. So that kind of a hanging basket. Um, So you're right. You can't bury those. Um, Well, either way, they will not survive above ground in those baskets. So the only way those plants are going to survive is if you get them in the ground. So bottom line is you'll have to pull them out of the hanging baskets, put them into the ground for the winter with the intention of lifting them again in the spring and replanting back into your hanging baskets if that worked out well for you. Okay, thank you. Sounds like work. But anyway, thanks. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Lewis. No, no, no. We never call it work when it's gardening. We call it fun. <laughs> fun. Like when the squirrels find the bulbs that you've planted. That's fun, too. <laughs> I know my uh, we used, uh, my wife used some of the ammunition that you have suggested over the years, and that is when we talk about squirrels, and that is to try and make the area look like nothing has happened there. So she uh, took up uh, the leaves and put them all back down again. For the most part, it has worked, although they're still very inquisitive, and I think they got a couple of her bulbs. Okay, so here's another thing I learned. <clears throat> Hen manure over top where you've planted the tulips. For whatever reason, squirrels don't like the smell of hen manure. Plus, it's obviously uh, a good source of fertilizer for the bulbs. And yes, make it look like you haven't done anything. So yeah, leaves, sticks, whatever on top and distraction. So while you're planting bulbs. (laughs) (laughs) Distraction. So I'm out in the yard in a a rabbit outfit distracting. (laughs) Exactly. You be a puppy dog and you chase the squirrels around (laughs) while Gail quickly gets them in the ground or you know what also works is good old corn you know the old as a dried corn or peanuts give them a little feeding station somewhere far away from your what you're doing and get them distracted over there so they won't see that you're planting okie dokie okay no it sounds like a great idea okay let's go to our next caller we've got susan in burlington welcome to the garden show susan good morning um I have a bad admission that I never planted my summer bulbs. I discovered a bag, and I'm wondering if there's anything I can do to save them for next year now. Like, could I plant them and put them in a dark, cold cellar, or 
Is there mm-hmm. anything or is am I just Sounds like a gift stuck? to the squirrels to me. <laughs> <laughs> what tell Susan, tell me more what kind of bulbs are they and what condition are they in? They seem pretty good still, although some of them have started to sprout even. Um Tigridia, Crocosimia and um uh, I should have got them in front of me. There, there are two others. One's a little blue one and an anemone, I think. Huh. Okay, so that's a challenge. You're in Burlington, though, so it's pretty mild where you live. Crocosmia, which is a lovely plant, will survive the winter. So you know what I would do? Don't even try and... Um, put them to sleep again. Like they, they, you can only keep these things dormant so long. I'd plant them outside. Personally, I would uh, just off, you know, top of my head, get them out, well-drained soil, sunny location, plant them down. Like, yeah, what the the, the winter coming is going to force them to not grow, even though they want to grow. The temperature will keep them cool enough, and then the you know, cross your fingers that come spring, they'll wake up and grow and not realize they missed a whole year there of uh, potential growth. Hard to say, you know, they it's hard to keep plants. You know, are they firm? Like, do they feel good and do they look healthy and alive? Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, mm. they do. <laughs> Well, like I said, that that would be my impulse would be to uh, get them into the ground now uh, into, you know, even if you put them into some pots and then just bury the pots in the garden for the winter, then you'll know exactly where they are and you'll be able to really, you know, check on what's going on with them uh, in the spring because you'll pull them up in the spring, wash off the pots and, and hopefully enjoy some beautiful flowers. Great. Thanks. Okay. Yeah. Good luck with that, Susan. Okay. Thanks. Uh, we are going to take our next break in just a moment, but I'll give those numbers out again. 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. Charlie and I will be right back with much more on The Garden Show. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Okay, I think we're back here on The Garden Show. Yeah, Charlie and I are back on this uh, first weekend of November. Um, Charlie... Uh, one of the other things that comes to mind are, is lawns. I was mm. uh, wondering about about lawns. Is there any last minute things that we we can be doing, or have, have we done all that we can do at this point? <laughs> I guess it depends how much lawn you have and how much you've done. But uh, remember, this is the time of year. Uh, it could be now. It could be in the next few weeks that we do our final mowing of our lawns. Mm-hmm. And the final mowing, the last mowing of the season, is the shortest mow of the year. So you know how all summer and through the growing season, we've been cutting our lawns at at least a three-inch height. Our mowers are set to about three inches, which is higher than it used to be 20 years ago. Uh, People were always into the putting green look 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and realized that that was unsustainable. So now we we do tend to leave our lawns longer, so we have a little more shade on the soil where the um, lawns are growing, and so they don't dry out as fast, and, you know, they're more lush. Mm -hmm. It works better. But now, end of season, last mow, right down to two inches. Um, 
uh, and that is, like I say, your shortest mowing of the entire season. It's also the time to fall fertilizer. If you haven't um, applied a winterizing fertilizer on your turf, now's the time to do it. Because it's a, it's a really the most important fertilizer of the season. It's the one that helps get things growing next spring. Now, remember, we talked about this last year, and you love the fall fertilizers. You think that that's the way to go, eh? It's the only one I ever put on. You know okay. what? I just uh, I assume that the lawn will wake up beautiful and vigorous and healthy and ready to go in the spring when the snow melts. And then I keep an eye all summer. I do not like fertilizing in the spring and summer because then you end up just having to mow every day. Like, mm-hmm. who wants to do that, right? You don't want to push a bunch of growth. Now, you want your lawn to be healthy and green. So top dressing that's that adding that nice layer of soil overseeding as necessary keep it thick keep it healthy but don't rely on fertilizer as your way to keep your lawn healthy other than that winterizer fertilizer which is perfectly balanced for a real good uh spring and you know survival of the winter and then a good spring awakening sweet okay let's go to our next caller we have uh helen on the line helen is calling from barry welcome to the garden show helen and I'm a first-time caller. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. There are your garden wings, my dear. Okay. And what have you got for anyway, a Charlie? Anyway, I have another wintering question. I've had a, a lavender in a medium-sized pot since May. I just brought it in last night. My question is, do I cut it down or do I just leave it like that for the winter? Okay. Uh, Good question, Helen. This does come down to some point to what kind of lavender. I'm assuming you have a perennial lavender one. And and Dean knows this. He's got some beautiful lavender growing at his place for which he bakes scones and cookies (laughs) with uh, on a daily basis. So if it is a perennial lavender in a pot since spring, I would be keeping it outside. I would bury the pot. If you like it in the pot, just bury the pot for the winter in a well-drained, sunny location. Do not bring it in. It will not survive the winter inside unless it's an annual lavender, which is a possibility. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think it is a perennial and it's pretty big now. So <laughs> perfect. So you've done a good job looking after it. Keep uh, just do what you, you know, bury it for the winter, bring it up in the spring and do what you did this year when you're looking after it next year. Lots of sun. Um, do give it a shearing. Yeah, you could even do it now. This is the time of year in the fall with our lavender. We look at the new growth, so you know what grew this year. You can tell where it's soft and new and tender, and we remove about a third of the new growth now before winter. That's great. Yep, that's my question. Thank you very much. Okay, yeah, thanks, Helen. Thanks for calling. uh, Hey, and yeah, and if you need it, I got a great recipe for lavender lemon scones. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Okay. Charlie, one of our callers that had uh, some trouble on the line uh, sent you her question by email. This is mm-hmm. Anne from Hagersville, who we just could not seem to get on the get going. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says, I'm getting, uh, she says, uh, let me see. She belongs to a seniors club in Port Dover, 
And those in charge want to place some plants in our room, but feel real ones are not possible due to uh, irregular watering, temperatures, and facing due east. Um, I feel we can have real plants mm. if we have real plants that will tolerate varying conditions. Could you suggest some plants that might work given those, uh, those factors? Right. So it sounds like they want to spruce up the seniors club and make it prettier, make it, um, yeah, more, you know, vegetative. And, you know, I agree with you, Anne. There are plants that should do fine. Now, you mentioned temperature, so I don't know how cool it will be getting in the seniors club. I get that there's irregular watering because there's not somebody there every day. Dew East is not a problem. There's many plants that will survive facing Dew East. What come, jumps into my brain right now is African violets. They're wonderful in an eastern window. You only water from below. Now, they they will need to be in the window. You don't want them touching the glass, but they will need that bright, indirect, you know, bright location. But there's lots and lots of uh, foliage plants, too. Pothos, so P-A-T-H-O-S. It's a trailing um Green foliage, well, variegated usually green plant, very popular with the young people. They love this trailing plant, and they'll, I know some, so many of them that they're successful with it because it grows, it'll grow in a basement apartment, you know, it'll grow virtually with no light. So it'd be happy in an eastern window. Does not need to be kept constantly moist it just water it when it's dry and um yeah you can train the the trailing vines to go up the walls and cross and around and really spruce or you can you know cut it back make it a more dense plant spider plants do very well in fairly low light and again clean the air add a add oxygen brighten up the the situation um many of the orchids that we're buying in our grocery stores are very happy in an eastern window need a little bit of consistency care when it comes to watering and again temperature could be a, a limiting factor they'd like a regular room temperature but the the two the spider plant pothos um, um there's others other you know sansevieria these are plants that do very well in low light and actually thrive on neglect to some extent so i hope that helps and and you can spruce up that senior center sounds good to me uh something you mentioned Prior to the start of the show today, Charlie, that intrigued me, and I'm not sure it's something certainly I've never done, uh, uh, taking photographs of Mm. of your garden prior to the winter. And what's the what's the benefit there? Well, because we forget, (laughs) you know, doesn't matter how old we are. We forget one year runs into another. and We go, what was the year where it never rained in July? And we won't remember. We just know what happened at some point in the last 20 years. So. Every, I I really like to take photos and it's so easy to do now. Our phones make life so simple. Mm -hmm. Simple photos of your garden, they're dated, they're there for you to reference whenever you want and they remind you. They remind you of what worked and they remind you of what didn't work. And you know, you can make notes too, nothing like a, a good garden journal to really keep track of what really worked. But while this stuff is still in your brain, it's still fresh, right? For example, I planted, for the third year in a row, red geraniums at my front door. Very hot, very sunny, very neutral colored house. Red geraniums look great. But I don't really like the red geraniums when you take into account the rest of the garden. So next year, I've written myself a note. Geraniums are a great idea, but go with white next year. Try white geraniums and see what you think. They're so tolerant of my conditions. They're easy, but the red is just a bit not really working for me. 
Gotcha. Okay, let's see if we can squeeze in this last caller. We have David from Scarborough. Welcome to the Garden Show, David. Hello. I have hey a Chicago fig that has a dozen figs on it right now. Every winter, it dies back all the way to the ground, and then it grows up again. This year, it's six feet high, and I'd like to know what I can do so I can actually get some edible figs. Wow. Okay, so this is a is a really good uh, question. Okay, I'm quickly looking at ooh, all right. foodgardenlife.com. Write that down. foodgardenlife, that's one word, .com. Uh, that is a um, podcast that's put together by a good friend of mine, and he wrote a book called The Fig Pig, and he can tell you everything about figs. He lives <laughs> in North York, and it all started 30 years ago with, you know, figs and taking over the basement. They had a bathroom in their basement, and the bathroom became unusable because he filled it all up with figs, and his <laughs> wife never left him for some reason. She still loves him enough to still be with him, and, uh, and he knows figs. So these are potted figs that he goes in and out, but for all I know now, he's come up with some ideas and ways to keep them outside uh, in his North York suburban lot. It's a good big lot that he's got, and he's a, quite the gardener. So um, the fig pig, foodgardenlife.com. Good luck, David. Thank you. Okay, very. Yeah, thanks for the <laughs> call there. I, I know we have to go, Charlie, but quickly on that fertilizer for my lawn, what are the numbers I'm looking for? Oh my gosh, I can't remember. No, because you know what? They changed them. They Do they? Used, yeah. It used to be they were low nitrogen. So, okay. the, you know, there's three numbers, right? Yeah. So it used to be like a 12, 16. Oh no, it's like a 12, 8, 16. It used to okay. be, but now they've changed it. They've got the nitrogen much higher. The middle number is much lower. The third number is always the highest, the potassium. So, okay. um, Thank you. yeah, I know. I, it's you, know, you like to think that gardening is static and nothing changes, but nope, there's always new research. Things are always changing. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for all your help. Good luck with your scones and your family visitors. Thanks, Thank Ashley. You. Couldn't do any of this without you and the great callers. See you again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.